it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, daily YouTube videos, and I'm a longtime podcaster. Also, I have metastatic stage four prostate cancer that came out of remission in January. During the 2020 pandemic, my doctors advised me to stay at home, and the Life of Fitz podcast was born. Four years later, I'm back in my cancer fight and continuing this podcast, calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I have met throughout my 35 years in this industry. And now I'm adding in some new friends to my call list. And of course, I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. So this podcast releases on Wednesday, July 19th, and that just happens to be my mother's 88th birthday. So happy birthday, mom. But your son pre-recorded two Life of Fitzes while on vacation and in Dallas for work and got home and realized I don't have one for this week. So after much thinking about who I could get on short notice, I realized I have someone on my list that can't say no. So this week's Life of Fitz is with my own sister, Amy Fitzgerald, who is a remarkable woman. I'm a little bit biased in it, but Donna Fitzgerald did a good job raising children. She raised four of us, and I am the youngest, and Amy is three years older than me, which makes her very old. But she has gone through many different phases of life. She graduated from K-State with a master's in industrial engineering, went to work at Eastman Kodak, and then decided, hey, I want to do medicine. So she ended up going to physician assistant school, PA school, at Wichita State, and has been a working PA ever since. And now she has her doctorate, and she will never be called doctor by me, but she has her doctorate. So she is part of the faculty of the new PA school at Kansas State University. And for the first time in a long time, my sister Amy and I live in the same town. She's a world traveler, a dog lover, a great mom, and a very, very intelligent person. So let's call my sister, Amy Fitzgerald, in Manhattan, Kansas. Hello? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Is this Amy Fitzgerald? Um, this would be Fitz. What's up? <laughs> no, I, I'm Fitz. I, I, I'm sorry. No, no, you're you're the fourth in our family, and you were not the first Fitz. I think we all preceded you. Uh, I can't argue with that. It's such a, <laughs> it's such an easy nickname. We all get to be Fitz. I was always a Fitz. And what's a funny Fitz. about it is you thought the A stood for Amy. I know all these years, and then for a while I was Amer. Amer. What? I don't know that. Yeah, that was uh, Sarah Simpson, Ames Amer. Okay. Yeah, but no. Yeah, just go in, swoop in, and take the Fitz name. Yeah, I get a little touchy when someone else shows up in the sports realm calling themselves Fitz. <laughs> I just got a guy fired at Northwestern for the same damn thing. I know. Got it's kind of, a sad, kind of a sad day in the family, but. Yeah, I know. I know. We had Pat Fitzgerald coaching football again, but it was the wrong one. I know. At Northwestern. I mean, I it was perfect. It was perfect, but it wasn't meant to be, I guess. Well, you are officially uh, my first relative to be on this podcast. Whoa. I don't want you to feel like it's you're the most important because of that. Well, you were just available. Well, and I I realize I'm the backup plan to the backup plan. So well, some things have gone wrong in your life for us to be having this conversation because we rarely talk. We mostly text. Yeah, I know. Um, actually, to be fully uh transparent here there was no plan i stumbled out of vacation and media days with no one booked and then i realized today i i, I need to record an episode and uh, who, well, who would do it on a drop of a hat just like uh, the drop everything to talk to me I, and you know the strange thing is i remember being asked it was sort of like hey what are you doing today right uh, I need to record a podcast. It's like, no, how is your day going? Um, you know, did you have to go to the dentist today because you have dental pain? No problem. I still do a podcast. Yeah, from my fight through it. Fight. I'll fight through it. Fight through it. Um, Got it. 
you know, on the scale of things going on in the family, your your tooth uh, is is not high on the list. I'm yeah, just saying. I know. I know. Just as just because you're the family member with cancer, so uh, no matter what I do, it's never bad enough. Uh, to fall into favor with our mom, so well, and and she keeps falling down. Um, by the way, uh, this day—not the day we're recording it, but the day it actually drops on now on our podcasting networks across the entire world—is Donna Fitzgerald's birthday. Happy birthday, mom! Number eighty-eight. Yep. So incredible. Our goal is for one of us to win the lottery so that we can afford to pad her entire house. With not just like the traditional black padding, but something decor like, you know, so that's our goal is to win the lottery so we can pad the house and keep her safe because like a typical Fitzgerald, she doesn't uh, slow down from doing things when she should because it's so much easier just to do them. Yeah, now she's broken her hand. She's, she has a boxer's fracture. It's ironic. but We took a lot of beatings from that woman. Yep. She, you'd think that bone would be pretty dang hard, but apparently <laughs> it's not. So, And, yes, she is, what, three months post-mid-shaft femur fracture, yeah. and she fell in the landscaping rocks yeah. trying to <clears throat> get to the faucet right. to turn off the water out that she was watering outside. So... Um, yeah, not real good at uh, taking it easy. And I do have a funny story about her restrictions post-op. I don't know if she confessed this to you, okay. but I was at the house with her, and she's supposed to be using a walker yep, yep. at this point. So she gets up and walks across the room and goes and opens the back door to get some fresh air. And I'm like, um, mm-hmm. are you are you not supposed to be using the walker? And she said, well, he told me, you know, I only have to be 50 percent and now he's moved me up to 75 percent so I can go without the walker. And I said, well, no, because 100 100 percent would be without the walker. Her logic was 50 percent of your weight is each leg. So as long as she wasn't like just jumping up and down on one leg, as long as she was just plain walking, that was 50 percent. So. 75% 75% she could do whatever the heck she wanted because, you know, so I said, no, mom, that's really not how that 50% works. You know, it's hundred percent would be, you could do everything, but so we don't really know how long she had been walking um, when she was telling her doctor, she was still, you know, restricted, but she was driving before she was 50% weight bearing. So, um, but that's kind of a typical Fitzgerald thing too. It's just easier to just do it than to ask someone to help you. So true. And let's point out that this is not your typical 87, now 88 year old woman. No, she, she's pretty independent, still sharp. In fact, she could do this podcast and have no problems. Well, she'll probably edit it. She probably edited it for us, but, and she, and she did fall at the local YMCA going down the stairs to go in the building. So it's not like she was sitting at home knitting. So she was on her way to the Y to work out um, when she fell. And so she's laying at the bottom of this main entry stairs into the Salina YMCA. And she asked if they could just pull her to the side because she felt like she was in the way of people coming in. So, um, yeah. And, and, her Fitzgerald pain tolerance, which apparently was not really handed to at least you and I, but um, um, she rated her mid-shaft femur fracture with obvious deformity. I mean, she obviously had a fracture. Um, she rated it as a six out of 10, maybe seven. Hmm. I, so, I, I stood up out of the bed earlier today and it was a good five. Yeah. Just for living. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what happened. Because Pat Fitzgerald, our Pat Fitzgerald, not the one who just got fired at Northwestern no. and brought shame to the family name, even if he's no, not, not the him. family. Uh, not him. Our Pat Fitzgerald uh, almost had a had an appendectomy. What am I trying to say? Appendectomy. Oh my god! I'm so glad I have someone in the medical community in my family, <laughs> and and just was like, oh, it's a little little stitch in my side. Just a, it's a little little pain. Yeah. Not, yeah. not not much. I can ignore it and. Yeah, and he did until it was gangrene. So, and yeah. then that was the point where he thought, eh, yeah. And then when he had his aortic aneurysm, um, he didn't really want to uh, 
go by ambulance, though he was on all fours in the middle of the living room because the pain was so bad in his back. But, you know, he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, No, hmm, thinking not that's, you know, don't usually see my dad on hands and knees in the living room. So I didn't see that, by the way. No, no. I'm glad. But let's talk about you. Amy Fitzgerald. So interesting. It's amazing. Well, no, actually, you are interesting. You are (laughs) an amazing woman. Uh, And I want to fill in everyone um, the standard you set uh, for for all of us in terms of grades. Uh, An impossible standard. Uh, But you graduated from Kansas State with your undergraduate and master's in industrial engineering, right? Correct. How, how, How many... How many non-A's did you have? Oh, boy. There was that year I played rummy. Um, That would be like my sophomore year. So I did get some B's and maybe a C here or there. But, you know, the good thing about the real world is no one asks you what your grades were when you were in college. So, no, I I did have some laps there in the middle of my undergraduate. I kicked it into high gear again towards the end and then did fine in graduate school. Okay. So you you get your master's in industrial engineering. And next thing I know, you're in Rochester, New York. Absolutely. Working for Eastman Kodak. Uh, Mm -hmm. What were you exactly doing? I don't even know. Were you like figuring out more efficient ways to roll camera film? You know, you would think so. Um, But, you know, Kodak was a huge company back then. Uh, There were about 100,000 of us, I think, in Rochester, New York, um, that worked for Eastman Kodak. And they were pretty self-sufficient. So they did everything from start to finish having to do with film. Um, When I first started working for Kodak, so they used their industrial engineers as sort of an internal consulting firm. So we would have clients within the company that we would provide engineering services for them. So my first customer was the utilities. Um, Kodak produced their own energy. They had their own power plants. They had their own rail system. Um, so that was that was my first client was, was Eastman Kodak Utilities. And then um, I got... Uh, hooked up with 35 millimeter film finishing, um, which is from man, your fan base may be too young for this, but yeah. um, from large rolls of 35 millimeter film, um, and we would spool them, put them on the spool with film, and insert them in the black plastic uh, can, and that's what we call the little black you know, famous cans and put the lid on them and then package them in whatever um, box, however they were finished. So we went from uh, large rolls of film to out the door. That was my 35 millimeter finishing. I did some other Hmm. minor things at Kodak, including doing some teaching and assessment, but that was the majority of it. And then the tide started turning for Kodak and um, they... They were a family company. Kodak was the type of place you could go work, start as a maintenance guy or, um, you know, something like that and work your way up into the company and um, to to even the highest levels. And so they did not lay off people. Um, So that was just sort of their feeling was that we don't lay off family. And um, so when the tide was turning and Kodak was trying to keep up coming into the digital world, but just couldn't quite turn the boat around fast enough. Um, they realized they needed to downsize. So it was at that point I was thinking that maybe engineering wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be and had decided I was going to go into medicine. Um, sure. Just engineering to medicine. No problem. Yeah, they're very similar. Yeah. Um, yeah, the slide rule doesn't apply anymore. But it, you know, it came at a perfect time because they essentially paid us a paid each employee that left a lump sum of money, gave us some tuition assistance, paid um, health insurance for a year. So the timing the timing was really good. And engineering and medicine are actually very similar because you have to understand the system, how it's supposed to work, and then try to figure out why it's not working. And what could possibly be causing it? The only the only big variable, the only thing that's different is the whole people concept. Yeah, but you're okay with that. 
I'm okay with people. I'm okay. I but, can. I can. Yeah. So if I need some 35 millimeter film off a large spool rolled, you're my you're my person. I am the one. Now I I can only do it in complete darkness though. Oh. I don't. I can't have anyone watch because it was all. So we worked that production line was in complete darkness except for some safety lights. So yeah, you you went by sound and. Um, it was just kind of a different environment. And Kodak was great to the young engineers. They they always wanted to hire engineers from the Midwest. Now, they consider Midwest Michigan, Ohio, but um, they prefer Midwestern engineers because we would work crazy hours. Um, and, um, you know, we had a little stronger work ethic than maybe somebody else. But um, so Kodak was big on doing that. And then they were big on... Um, teaching their engineers the fundamentals of the business. I remember going to my first class at Kodak, um, which was black and white film, photo taking and processing, um, because they said, you know, you're going to go home for Christmas and everyone's going to think you know everything about cameras and film. So we've got to teach you the basics. So it was required that you take black and white and color photography. And then you had to spend a lot, a lot of time in the processing and printing labs of Kodak to make sure you knew what you were doing. Are, I, I, I still don't. Are you still... Are you so old that you predate color? Like the world was black and white, like on the Andy Griffith show? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I forget that I can still see in color now because I'm so used to seeing the black and white. Yeah, it's, it's tricky being an old person. Yeah. But also, if we need a covered wagon built, you might you might be the person to do that because you could engineer it if, out. If it needs to be done in the dark. I do have some restrictions <laughs> on what I'm capable of doing. That's a skill that's <laughs> really a rare skill nowadays. So you decide you want to get into medicine. You yep. you pondered medical school, right? I did. I did. I, um, I was studying for the MCAT because um, it had been a long time since I had, like, chemistry um, by that point. So I had to do a lot of review and um, had another thing that was – happened in the Rochester area is some of the suburban EMS systems would get in, you know, the good side of the engineers, the young engineers and recruit them to their EMS. Cause we were pretty good at following rules and documenting. So, um, so I, um, volunteered for gates, New York, uh, EMS system. I never knew. And, uh, yeah, and ran into my first PA. I had never heard of PAs. Ran into my first PA um, in Strong Hospital Emergency Room as one of the trauma centers um, after I watched a fairly um, um, aggressive resuscitation of a gunshot wound to a chest. And um, when we were done watching, the paramedic I was shadowing said, and you know what's amazing is that that guy's a PA and he runs the ER. And I'm like, PA, what's that? So then that started me down that path of, um, you know, maybe med school isn't what I want to do because I've already gone to school long enough. So medical school seemed like a, a long path. Okay. So how old were you when you went to PA school or how young? I should say. I was like 12, 13, somewhere I, in the I know that's not true because I was I would have been nine or ten. And yeah, I, and do you remember much about it? See, that's <clears throat> so true. We don't remember our childhood. No, I was twenty nine when I started PA school, and I came back from New York and went to Wichita State, which at that time was the only program in the state of Kansas. And it took you five years to get out of PA school because you kept flunking. <clears throat> yeah, I had a little trouble with the cards again, you know, playing a lot of rummy. But no, it, I graduated in two years and graduated in 1992 and um, went to work at a Salina doctor's office doing women's health. I didn't know that either. You keep know, so see, many you secrets. Were so, you were so young. You were just drunk. Let's be well, honest that's here. Probably true. That's probably true. Um, but. You eventually settled into working emergency rooms. Does that kind of go back to your first experience? Um, probably it does. I, I So after two years of OBGYN, which does get boring because there's only certain parts of the body involved in that. Um, so um, I started doing family practice 
in Lindsborg, which is about 20 miles south of Salina, a um, little Swedish town. But if you did family medicine, you also had one night a week that you covered the ER or one day a week you covered the ER. So I kind of that's kind of the first time I really worked in an ER. Um, and that sort of made me interested. And then when 12 years later, when things were kind of changing in Lindsberg, um, I decided that, you know, maybe I need to just go straight ER. I, I, I love family practice. I love, I love that. Are you going to cough over me? Because that's going to interrupt my whole train how of thought. Did, how did you hear that? My, I flipped my no cough button. Huh. Well, okay. well uh, I'll leave it in. They've been lying to you. They've been lying to you. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, um, you know, I, as much as I love family medicine, it's really a difficult field in a small town because I couldn't go to the grocery store. I couldn't go to the kids games. I couldn't do, I mean, everybody had questions or, you know, like, do you remember that medicine you put me on last month? Well, that I didn't don't. help. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was hard for me to separate work from life. Um, and going into emergency medicine allowed that because, um, Generally, most of my career, I have worked in a different town than I live in. Right. So it it just makes it easy. I don't have to worry about, you know, running into people that I should remember, you know. So, so it, you know, that's always worked out. Now, I, I still continue to cover in Lindsberg, so I do see see people that were my neighbors and stuff. But that's, you know, that's okay because it's on a limited basis now. And you live here now, which I, I, I live in Manhattanness. I love Manhattan. It is. Um, I, I kind of knew I wanted to live here for a long time, but it, you know, busy getting the kids grown up and um, you know, getting to a point where that made sense and and things, you know, I I, I believe that everything always just sort of happens the way it's supposed to. As long as you're listening, then you're going to get guided along this way and. Um, I ended up at K-State because I was, I don't even remember where I first heard it, but I heard that K-State was going to be starting a PA program, which we much needed to have more physician assistants, which Shaw State's an excellent program, but they only graduate uh, 35 to 40, I think, maybe a little more than that, uh, PAs a year. Um, and so the fact that it was K-State, my alma mater, um, you know, got two degrees from K-State. I'm very much, and I'm probably, I got to take credit. I'm probably the reason you went to K-State. Um, <laughs> I'll well, just take that credit. Um, well, I'm pretty sure our Pat Fitzgerald said, you're welcome to go to any school in Manhattan, Kansas, as long as it's not the Christian college. Yeah, I think so. so. And, and that was very different than the message I had coming out of high school, but that might be the difference in how much academic work each one of us I did. I had a three seven for God's sakes. Yeah, well, that wasn't it, buddy. I could go any place in the world except for Kansas Wesleyan or Marymount College. Those are my only restrictions because our dad very strongly felt that you needed to leave town to go to college. So um, I didn't take that personally. I took that as, oh, wow, that's a smart thing. Um, but, you know, you could say, oh, he just wanted you to get away from him. But I wouldn't say that. He, he knew that he needed to separate us. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Try to try to save me. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I don't even know where. So K-State, PA, you know, I, I, I cold called. I did a cold call to the program um, and said, hey, I heard you guys are starting a PA program and I'm a PA in Kansas and a K-State grad. And they said, hold on, we'll have you talk to someone. And they uh, put me on the phone with our our program director, who's the one that's been doing a fantastic job getting everything up and running and things just start falling into place. It was, you know, you want to be on the advisory committee. I'm like, sure, I can do that. And then the more I see, the more I want to be involved and eventually went to um, part-time teaching still working full-time in the ER, um, but would come up, well, it was during COVID, but eventually would come up to campus and for two days a week. And then about a year ago, um, I finished my doctorate in medical science and then switched from part-time to full-time faculty. And then in January of this year, became the academic director of the Case APA program. Golly. I mean, you give the Fitzgerald name such luster. 
I know. It's just amazing, isn't it? And if you met me, you would know it was all luster. It was great. Yeah. Might be, might be bluster. I think bluster <laughs> might be. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, but how many students? Uh, you mentioned Wichita State's at the yeah, 35, so, 40. Um, so our first cohort, and they're in their second year, they're in their clinical year. Um, there are 35 of them. Um, the second cohort is in their academic uh, year, their first year of the program. And there are 40 of them. Um, we are doing interviews right now for the third cohort, and they will have 44, which will probably be about where we always sit. Mm-hmm. Now, as of a meeting this afternoon, uh, we have had 888 applicants for those 44 Holy seats. Holy crap. So um, some of that's because it's K-State. Some of that's just a reflection of how much demand uh, for PA programs there is and why it was a smart move um, by our uh, previous dean of health and human services to start the PA program. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It is crazy. Sorry. Your, your nephew's making noise in the background. Um, <clears throat> okay. Well, let's shift gears. Let's, let's okay. talk about uh, growing up in, in Salina, Kansas. Well, first of all, you were born in, in Marshall, Michigan. Yeah, I'm the Michiganer of the family, so I lived there while Dad uh, still worked, well, had just started working for State Farm Insurance, um, and he was there for early part of his training, um, and then after that, we moved to Florida so that we could have a child born in Florida, right. and um, um, while well, he was actually an agent in Florida, and then course, we moved to Columbia, Missouri after that as he went to training of agents. And then as he moved up to um, regional manager at State Farm, we moved to Salina. And um, I, that's the point where he said, we're, we're done with this moving. We've got to put down roots and say, and, you know, it had to be tough for our older brother and sister. I mean, they're moving in high school. We were moving before we were in school or before, well, in our case, before we remember, because we don't remember anything from our childhood. But I remember yeah. one thing from Columbia, Missouri. Oh, do you? Uh, that's good. Uh, we were, I was in like the lower level of the mm-hmm. house. And yep, that's all I remember. Level. Yeah, that's, that's all I remember. Do you remember us forcing you to eat dog biscuits? <clears throat> no. No, but that's okay. probably why okay. I blacked out most of my childhood. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we, we kind of picked on you a little bit. Oh, that's all right. But, but you seem to like them, in all fairness. It well, it's not like we had to. Probably you know. why I like dogs. I yeah, just it's the beginning. It's the beginning. Yeah, I don't have a lot of memories of Columbia either. And I did kindergarten and first grade there. But, um, you know, I do remember that house had pink bathrooms. Mm. Mm. Um, and we're talking pink porcelain. We're not talking decor. We're talking porcelain pink bathrooms. But. We, yeah. we had that in this house when we moved in. Oh, see, our, I wasn't aware of that. Our, our upstairs hall bath had a pink toilet and a pink shower. Wow. And so we kind of regret not keeping it, to be honest, now that we've got it. Yeah, it's kind of cool. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, would we be total jerks if we stayed in Columbia and grown up there? Oh, yeah, definitely, because yeah. we'd be Mizzou fans. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, um, I do. Re- I do remember you couldn't shop on Sundays. Um, what? So, yeah. What is that law called? I want to say green something. I haven't thought about that for 50 years. But they there was a law that no stores were open. You couldn't do business on Sundays, except there had there was an exception because there was one little kind of like a. Uh, it was more than a gas station, but not as big as a Walgreens, but something where you could pick stuff up. Because I remember after church, sometimes dad would stop there and probably in his case to get cigarettes, but I don't remember. Um, but yeah, what's that called? I want to say green light, but that'd be close to gas light. I, I don't know. I've never heard of that. Is that a, like a Southern church thing? I have no idea. I was, you know, I don't recall anything from that age either. Well, you were probably um, in a gang by the time we left there. You... Well, yeah, I was. You probably are familiar with my mud-throwing incident. I, I'm not. I well, feel like I got hit by the mud. No, you did not. Um, so we grew up with athletic parents, so we did play a lot of catch. We had we were pretty athletic and played a lot of sports. So even at the age of five or maybe six, I was able to take a mud ball from the sidewalk mm-hmm. and hit a moving car through the open driver's window oh and hit the driver. 
I'm now, I thought my parents would be proud, but that it didn't come go down that way. I'm proud. Yeah, it was. I thought it was amazing, but I, I that's the closest my dad ever came to striking me, because as you know, he only struck you. He left the rest of us. <laughs> Right. But in my defense, I earned it. I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't like you were just randomly selected and, and hit you. And and I don't even, all I remember is him dragging you upstairs. I don't ever remember him really hitting you. Oh, yeah. I got the brush treatment on that Oh, one. you did? Yeah. Um, I Well, he dragged me upstairs, but I was on my way upstairs running for my life. Well, that's because it was preceded by, you can't make me. I, I believe was your statement at the dinner table when you were told to go upstairs. I think your comment was, you can't make me. And thus you were proved wrong again. Yeah, I, I remember that incident only because I remember being a total smart ass at the dinner yep. table. Um, and you know what? I just want to point out dad, if you're listening from above, it didn't change <laughs> me one bit. I'm still a smart ass. Huh? You can't make me stop Pat. <laughs> I think he probably eventually resigned to the fact yeah. that he raised a bunch of smart asses and <laughs> you know not much not much she can do about that and and neither one of our parents were really as mouthy as as well you and I I guess we can't take Deb and Mike down with this cuz they're not very mouthy either no. so so it's just the genetics of you and I something right Right. Um, but dad had a really, he had the great punny, dry sense yeah. of humor. Oh, so yeah. That's he where had, that comes from. Yeah. That sarcasm. Yeah. And sarcasm and puns. Yeah. He, he, he had very witty humor, but, um, but not, didn't push the etiquette, etiquette limits as much as you and I do. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. We're both people. I'm really bad about this. I don't remember much about my childhood. I don't remember much about high school. Just yeah, little snapshots. I, I remember uh, some things from sixth grade. I remember little glimpses of earlier grades because um, my sixth grade year was the, the bicentennial. So we did stuff with oh, that. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, I was born to be an American. Uh, I'm telling you what. Um, and then uh, high school. Uh, I get in my freshman year and you're a senior, which was a great benefit because I knew all your friends and, and now. Uh, yeah. My friends liked you. I'm not sure I where sure. I went wrong on that one, they but do. yeah, they, they still, still do. I know I, they follow you on social media all the time. So it's, it's crazy because they know they should probably know I'm a total shithead. Well, and they have their own memories of things they did to you. So, um, I think, I think x lax yeah. Incident. I think we're um, out how why I don't you remember know? my childhood. Yeah, because yeah, I yeah, you had to block it out in Trauma. order to grow up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you had no way of knowing that X Lax X Lax came as a chocolate flavored mm -hmm. supplement. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure and, Mom really appreciated that. Yeah, and um, so you know, I mean, you had no idea what you were getting yourself into, but we certainly did, and we found it quite humorous. But uh, but that well i think that maybe i don't know that may have been the beginning of some other things too but we grew up playing sports as you mentioned um yep. you were softball swimming um, yep volleyball volleyball um i was basketball s baseball um no football because i was too soft which was a great disappointment to pat Fitzgerald, yeah i i still re i still remember i have a memory of Dinner after, you know, it must have been the beginning of fall semester or something. I, and maybe it was even in seventh grade. But I remember um, you coming in and saying, I'm not doing that. That sport hurts. Um, so and that just sort of crushed dad because that was the only sport that, you know, he thought was worth uh, living for was, you know, his rule of if it involves a round ball, it's not a real sport. So, um, yeah, he only liked the odd shape of footballs. Yeah, I, I, my first tackle football experience was some knucklehead coaches who wanted to beat everyone up, and and yeah. that I, 
a bunch of us quit, and that team went over that year. So it was kind of funny. Well, that, well, without you on the field, of course. Well, that was uh, naturally, I mean, yeah. I've been successful everywhere I've gone. <laughs> just uh, think how bad you would be orthopedically now oh if God. you had actually played football. I know I'm beaten up from playing volleyball throughout college. I mean, well, football would have destroyed me. Well, and you had that big pinky fracture from baseball. Oh, was, I'll never forget it. Uh, <laughs> mom and mom decides we're going to take summer school typing. So. And what a joy. What a joy that was going to be in the air-conditioned air Salina Central High School. And uh, like a week into class, I remember going to class once like, oh, my God. I mean, it's just folks, we had royal typewriters just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to learn to type. I learned to use the my thumb for the space bar. That's the only thing I learned. Uh, and then I go out first week of baseball. I'm playing first base. A ball skips under my glove and just absolutely snaps my pinky. I, I want to point out Mr. Soft, who was too soft for, for football, decided, oh, I could shake it off and play. And finally they noticed, why is he holding his hand so weird? And they came out, my pinky's just kind of hanging there. So uh, that in yeah. typing class, but very, any- very bitter for me because it wasn't fair right. that you got out of typing just because you broke your finger. And I was stuck all summer right. using that electric typewriter in that hundred degree classroom. Um, yeah, that was, but I remember but- telling mom, Hey, what's it matter? What am I going to ever do that involves typing? Yeah. And it's amazing. And you can type with two fingers faster than anyone I've ever known. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about desire. It's all about want to. (laughs) (laughs) I put, I put my fingers on the right keys. I just want to say that. That's good. You got the home keys down. Yeah. But I was a math whiz. I don't know what the hell happened to me. Now I ask, uh, I'd say her name, but Alexa will, uh, answer. So, uh, but I ask her to do all my math now. I'm that lazy about it. Really? It's a shame. It's a yeah, shame. it is. Yeah, so that's how you ended up kind of being a writer is because you did math so fast. Right. They'd make you go, make you go do something else to yep. not bother not bother the other students. Yep, there was Mr. Box in the sixth grade. One of my memories is myself and Doug Tickle were so far ahead of yep. the rest of the class in math. He said, you know what? You guys go off to the side and start writing anything. So I wrote a short story about an adventurous rabbit. I'm sure it was wonderful. You don't have it? Oh, know. man. It was in a steno book because I had to use a steno book because I'm left-handed. Uh-huh. But yep. not yep. left-handed throwing a ball, and I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, that's a whole long conversation about why you're, you know, so screwed up, which is right and which is left. Ironically, Doug Tickle, fastest with you in math, had twins, not he, but he had siblings that were twins in my class who were also two of the fastest math people. So there's something going on at their house that, you know, maybe when you have, I don't know, 11 siblings, you have to think fast and calculate fast to stay ahead. Okay, we've covered a, a lot of ground here, but we haven't covered your two most most important topics. Well, three, um, I guess, if I want to include the kids. Well, it's, I mean, it's they are my, it's my niece and nephew. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, like, I'm sorry about that, but you know, I did the best I could. Well, he drove me to my radiation. It paid off at some point. Yeah, that's true. It was a long. It was a very long term investment, but yeah, he did drive me to radiation. <laughs> uh, but you love to travel. And yep. you love dogs. Are are we yep. we have a dog issue in our family? Yep. Um, but we always had one dog at a time growing up. Yeah. And now I I've been limited to two by my hall monitor, <clears throat> my my wife. Uh, yeah. But you have like ninety three. I my. Um. I yeah. I think technically I only have three dogs okay. in the city limits of Manhattan. But um. Yes, I have three dogs um not the most i've ever had not the least but it's been a long time since i've been without a dog so and uh while i have the ever masculine standard poodles uh yep. you have bernie's mountain dogs which are incredible dogs they're wonderful they, dogs. they are wonderful dogs i can't imagine you know we've rescued some dogs um over the years from the shelter too and um you know because a dog is a dog right now i think i think burners are in their own little subgroup because they they're 
they they love people and they're not very smart. So, um, you know, these people that want to breed burner doodles, I'm like, why the heck would you breed something smart to a burner? I mean, that's right. just crazy because um, the, their, their best selling point is that um, – they're not real bright. I can say that in front of them. They don't even care. They don't even understand. No, I'm making a connection uh, here. Uh, love people and not very bright. Did you choose your dog based on your brother? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, How many have you I had think, through the years, though? Oh, I, I have lost track. I am probably – so I got my first burner in 1988. Before they were cool. So, yeah. So, yeah. So that's 35 years I've had them. I mean, I'm probably in the maybe up to 30. Now, it, it's always hard for me because I did have some litters. I haven't had any litters recently. So like, do those count? They were in my house for eight weeks and then some of them would stay a little bit longer, you know, so I never knew really where to draw the line. But um, yeah, I usually I would not be comfortable with less than two um, they're not a long-lived breed, and I, I I lost my first one. He got cancer actually before he was four, um, and that's the last time I was without a dog was when he passed away. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to do that again. Yeah, so backups. Yeah, so you got to have a backup system. It's sort of like a training camp, you know. You got the miners and everything. But so you did they the, worked. On, they did the whole show thing. You showed them for a while. Yep. Yep. I mean, you've had some not. Yep. I mean, amazing dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done confirmation. I've done obedience. Um, I, I think I'm too old to do confirmation. Um, I'm at the point in my dog showing where I'd have to pay someone to run around the ring with them because they're big dogs. They run fast. You know, if I'm gonna keep showing, I gotta go to a smaller dog. But um, I, you know, even my friends that are big into showing, we don't. Showing isn't why we have them. It's just something fun we can do with them. Um, you know, our dogs are part of our family as, as your dogs are part of your right. family. Well, but they're only the only things that really like you. So, True. Um, um, so, and, and um, my ex-husband, I would always say, don't make me choose between them and you because they're always happy to see me. So, <laughs> So yeah. True. So, so true. So true. So yeah, yeah. I I can't imagine without. And fortunately, my kids are adults now, and so they're able to step up and take care of the dogs while I go on little excursions and travel and get to do that that part of life. See, that's you just pivoted me right into the topic. That it's was like brilliant. I, lead you. I know. Uh, I know. It's I amazing. Know. I know. It's like you've been leading me around my whole life. Exactly. Um, you do like to travel. It's pretty cool oh. what you're doing. Because because some of it is just um, self-fulfillment education, and now you've started yep. doing some medical traveling. So yeah, I, I love I love traveling. I can't say I did a lot before. Um, I mean, I did a little bit in college, but then life got busy, and then you have kids, and it gets more complicated. But now that um, the kids are grown up, and I can do some things. So I, I I I love history, which is another thing our dad kind of handed off to us is a love of history. So um, I like the history. I like seeing those places that are historic. Now I'm I'm pretty naive because uh, two years ago, let me think. Yeah, about two years ago, I was in Egypt, and um, we're touring someplace and they're telling us about this and this. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Jesus was here. And they're like, yeah, you remember he was in, he was in Egypt. I'm like, Oh my God, this is Egypt. I mean, you know, it's like, I never, I never put two and two together. It's like, it, it's like one thing, you know, and another thing. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, this is the same place. This is the Jordan river. This is, you know, so, um, um, yeah, I enjoy that. So yeah, I've, I've been able to travel. I've been able to travel for just fun. I've traveled twice to Europe to get dogs. That's a whole nother adventure that, um, I'm getting way too old to do, but, um, I have a good friend who, uh, is in the same breed and she knows pedigrees of dogs, like racehorse people know pedigrees of their horses. She, um, I joke that she's like an idiot savant with pedigrees cause she can go. So you see that dog, his, his maternal sires 
brother gave, you know, had a litter of puppies that, you know, and I'm like, I don't even know who, which dog you're talking about in the room. So, um, but she, um, she breeds for longevity, which in our breed isn't a big issue. And, um, she breeds for the pedigree. So she doesn't necessarily care what the dogs look like as long as they're, you know, structurally fairly normal. She breeds everything for the pedigree. So she's taken me. So when the kids were old enough that I didn't need to stay home and I let her know that, then quickly we ran off to Croatia and brought four 17-week-old Bernese Mountain Dog puppies back to the United States. And then a little over a year ago, um, I went with her to Switzerland and Italy, and we brought three dogs. Nope. First time was three dogs. This is four dogs this last trip. And um, one of them is my youngest dog, Giovanni. So Giovanni's our, our Italian stallion that is not that much of a stallion. But um um, back from Italy. So I've got to, to combine those things. And then this spring, I was lucky enough to be able to go to Turkey um, and help with, uh, they had a large earthquake in um, central Turkey. Um, and so I was able to go over and combine my medical knowledge. And I happen to love the country of Turkey. I think it's pretty fantastic. Um, but got to go spend two weeks um, helping people with the most uh, in the most primitive of conditions and um, and give, give myself a lesson of reality and how easy we have it in Manhappiness, Kansas. So let's put some perspective on that, though. The town you were in was, did you say it was roughly the size of Topeka in population? Um, the town, yeah, because yeah, right now I'm panicking because I have no idea what the population of Topeka is. But um, the t- town um, we were in, Population prior to the earthquake was about 130,000. And it was pretty much flat. It was, yeah, it was pretty much. I mean, yes, they're building still standing, um, but not barely. I mean, yeah, they collapsed down on themselves. By the time I got there, they had cleared at least one lane in, in, in most roads so somebody could get through between the buildings. Um, and they were trying to just clear those first and the most dangerous buildings and work their way. They estimate there were about 25,000 people still left in the town uh, when we were there. The majority of them living in tent cities that were put up um, by the government so that they would have a roof over their head. Because the original, the earthquake was in the winter. Um, so they had that shelter. So our, we stayed in the tent cities with our patients. Um, and each tent had one light bulb and one outlet. And uh, my friend Sujatha's bedding was on top of the outlet and the light switch. So she was, she ruled our tent, you know, she determined what time at night that light bulb was going off. And, you know, if you wanted your phone charged, you need to negotiate with her. So, um, and then they had public toilets and the government then brought in, um, large, uh, mobile kitchens and cook three meals a day for the Turks that were in the tent city. And there were tent cities Every you know, like every few blocks, there'd be a large tent city because the people couldn't go back into their houses. Unbelievable! What what yeah. a tragedy! <clears throat> yeah, it was terrible. And the people, it's not like these people previous. I I kind of thought it was going to be the people that didn't have the resources to leave, um, but actually the people that were primarily in the tent cities were middle and upper class who owned the property that had been condemned and they knew that if they left the area, the government would say that they surrendered it. So they were trying to stay around to find out what was going to happen with their property, if they were going to be able to rebuild, if there was any compensation, any of that. And then they'd come in for simple things, but there were no stores, uh, you know, there's nothing open. So, you know, your kid has a fever in the middle of the night, um, uh, Tylenol, they know exactly what they should be doing, but there's no place to buy it. So, um, so it was a different type of medicine than what we would do in the United States. Crazy. And you were talking about yeah. doing another trip, but you, you're not doing that, right? Um, I am. So I have a couple things on the burner. So trying to work with a group out of Kazakhstan um, to help 
educate their medical providers. Um, their their system of medicine is is kind of Russian based, and so there's an organization that's trying to Westernize their medical practices a little more. So that's one thing that I'm I've got cooking. I just don't know when I'm going to have time to do that because Kazakhstan is a long way from here, and um, um, it, you know travel time alone is is horrendous. I think I, I figured out that Istanbul was about two thirds of the way oh. to the capital. So yeah, it's not someplace you just take a weekend flight and you run over there. So that's cooking. Um, I've, I've had some other, this group that I went to Turkey with, I, they have m- multiple opportunities. And I think now I know that I prefer to do disaster relief because I'm an ER provider. So my brain's kind of geared towards that instead of doing the kind of trips where you go in and do immunizations and deworm people and stuff. It's, you know, so, so, we'll, you know, you just got to see what doors open up for you. And if I'm meant to go to Kazakhstan, then things will fall into place. If I'm, you know, pretty busy at K-State working, trying to get everything up and going and, and uh, make sure we're turning out the next generation of PAs. You're pretty amazing, sis. Well, you know, I had to be to get through life with you. No doubt. No doubt. No, no. Took all sorts of skills, man. Yeah, 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 and I appreciate you not killing me. Um, um it was close. And it was um, close. But uh, I think I think we set the tone. When I threw an ashtray at you. First of all, I have a dent in my forehead. Yeah, I, I, I want to be clear. I laid down the law. Don't mess with the man. <laughs> and I, I think the ashtray wasn't where the incident ended, though. I, I think it. Um. Yeah, I I don't think it was the same incident, but it may have been the time. No, it was the time you came after me with a board from the bunk bed. Right, the upper bunk bed, the yeah. board that yeah, so yeah that you thought you would, yeah that you thought maybe that would convince me to right. be nice to you. And I think, um, I, I think I give up. I give up was the last thing you said before. Right, that's pretty much. <laughs> But everyone, needs, every, everyone needs to know that even though you're a big guy and you've always been a fairly oh big guy, you're highly ticklish. Right. So that's always that's always been my strategy when all else fails, brains over brawn, because, you know, I can take you down with a good tickle and, you, you know, you're clinging for your life. I started giggling thinking about it. God. I know. I know. You I trained know. me through my life. I'm a Pavlovian. Uh, but yeah. Um, uh, but I, I want to point out, though, that that whole incident wasn't my fault. If our parents hadn't not. been smokers, I would have never mm-hmm. had that to throw. Oh, the metal ashtray? Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think it was a copper enamel. I think it was burnt orange, actually. It was beautiful. Um, that forever had that bend in it that kind of tarnished. But um, the family name. Yeah, Don't I mess with Tim. So. Yeah. So, and I, uh, you know, for anyone that asks, I do have the dent in my forehead that I can, I can show. So, yeah, I, you know, we were a different generation. We had to, our parents pretty much let us work things out, whether or not we wanted to or not. I don't ever, I don't remember mom intervening much. The only unwritten rule I knew was if mom started crying, we were dying because that means she was going to tell dad. Right. And though dad didn't hit any of the others of us, um, you. yeah, when he let go of that GD, you know, then it was like, Oh my God, we're going to die. Uh-huh. But, I don't know. But, but, then, but the rest of us felt safe, but I know we were worried about you getting hit because he wouldn't hit us. Well, cause he knew I was, I was a man. I was able to take it. Delicate, delicate. Uh, um, we were people this generation don't understand. We we're pretty much feral at times. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, there was no entertaining your children, no find them something to watch or snacks. Nope. They nope. said, go outside, get on a bike and go find your own friends. Get away from me. Yeah. That's how we were raised. Yeah. And I, I remember when I got smart enough to pack a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when I left the house in the morning because you weren't coming back, not until it was time. So we had the whistle system. We had the three whistle blows. That was time to get your butt home. And then um, the streetlights were the final, you know, you had to be in the house by the time those streetlights came on. But um, yeah, we pretty much, I mean, we used 
all sorts of tools. We built things. We did ramps. We climbed trees. Um, I have a memory of hanging from a tree while someone went to my house to get mom so she could save me from falling the rest of the way. I, I remember it that I hung there for about an hour but I don't think that's true. But, you know, it, I, and I'm surprised she was there, you know, usually yeah. we were just doing our own thing. Solve I don't it. know. Yeah. Tell her to get out uh, of the tree. Yeah. Someone helped me. You, know, you can drop, you got halfway down. You might as well go the rest of the way, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a very different, you know, and uh, you know, to be able to like watch TV during the day, that's how I came to love the cubbies was, Man, if the cubbies were on, then we had an excuse to have the TV on during the day um, and sit in the air conditioning as opposed to, you know, being outside or riding your bike to the pool or, you know, doing something else. But hard street to Salina, Kansas. I know. It was tough, man. It was tough. And that's when uh, we couldn't ride our bikes up and down um, East Crawford because it wasn't it was paved one lane blacktop. So we had to, yeah, we had to ride our bikes up and down Iron Street because it had curbs. Um, I don't remember ever riding my bike on Crawford because. I don't either. Because it just, you know, I don't even think, I don't even know that there was a speed limit on it. It was just not even lanes. It was just a black top. And um, you knew if you, and there wasn't any place to go. So you couldn't like pull over. Um, So, yeah. So I think. I think that's why we ended up going up and down Iron Street all the time. But anyway. Okay. All right, bro. I love you. Love you. I love your okay. your kids, even though uh, um, they probably yeah. don't love me. They do love you. Oh. They're just never really. They're just never really sure what to make of you. They just don't know if you're serious or not. And I don't know why they would ever think that. Well, I know because they know that their mother is never serious. Right. So I don't know, but I'm proud of you and you keep doing the good fight. And, um, you know, this, this path you decided to put our whole family on, we'll, uh, we'll follow along so we don't have cancer in our family. So this is leave it to you. I'm an had overachiever. The, had to be the first one mm-hmm. to get cancer in the family. Our family, our family all overeats and previous generations all smoked. So we died before we turned 60 because we had such terrible heart disease. But, um, you know, let you live long enough that you're going to get cancer. Yeah. So that's all right. But, but we're, we all got your back. We're all here for you 24 hours a day. Proud of you. Proud of the way you represent yourself. Not always on Twitter, though. Sometimes I Sometimes really, those I, people need a lesson to be taught. To sometimes them. I just really want to reach through and slap you. But um, all my yeah. it's not a family thing. All my followers feel that way. Okay. Okay. So it's not just a family oh, thing, but, yeah. um, but, uh, most of the time proud of how you represent and proud of your education of prostate cancer and getting PSA testing done early instead of late. And maybe things will change. It did with breast cancer. Exactly. I used to have to fight, I used to have to fight with insurance companies, uh, who refused to do mammos on women who are 40, even though their mother died at 32 of breast cancer, you know, they, it's like, well, she's only 40. It's like, yeah, but um, so we fought that fight for women's health. We can fight that fight for men's health. And, um, you know, everyone. It's the same fight. 40, yeah. 35, 40 years later, we're just that far behind in prostate cancer. Well, and then men have been totally scared off because prior to PSA, even though PSA technically is not a screening test, we use it for screening. Um, but prior to that, we had to have the Dr. Dre, which you now know means DRE means a direct rectal exam, a digital rectal exam. Sorry. So men were afraid. I mean, they didn't want who wants to go in and have a finger put up their hoo-ha. It's not a hoo-ha up their rear end, Um, you know, but now that we can do this testing and actually more accurately than a, than a direct uh, exam, um, do a PSA. And so, you know, guys need to be doing their PSA. It's a, it's a little blood test. You can survive it. It's manageable. And in your case, even though your cancer sucks, it saved your life, Um, you know, which, you know, it totally, if you hadn't had this PSA to get life insurance, um, you would have been dead four years ago. So, um, you know, it it does have its role and people, the insurance companies just don't want to spend the money on it. But, um, but I appreciate everything you're doing to educate, 
educate uh, patients, educate people, especially African-American men. Yep. Um, those are a high risk group and they tend to fall through the cracks anyway in all types of medicine, but in this field especially. Um, so I appreciate uh, all you're doing and I'm always proud to say you're my brother. I wasn't proud the first 20 years, but after that, after I got through that startup curve and you went to college and you know, the fraternity taught you some manners. Then uh, I've been I've been proud to call you my baby brother um, for a number of years. And I hope to always be proud to call you that for many years to come. Do you want to uh, call me your pet name one time before we hang up? I don't know what your pet name is. Oh, that one. Yeah. OK, yeah. So dork. Um, yeah, dork. I You know, I don't even remember when that started, but. It is what you are. I, uh, my mind went through all sorts of gyrations to come up with Dork there because I had a lot of names that I don't say out loud that I call you. So okay, but I'm done talking. That's it. That's, <laughs> all right, that's I love it. Before you, you start listing those off, I'm, we're hanging up. <laughs> all right, love you much. Love you, sis. Talk to you later. Happy birthday! Oh, happy birthday, mom. Happy birthday, mom. If you're you still know listening to this, think. yeah, I know she's probably she's probably rolling her eyes and giving up, but yeah. So all right, thanks, bro. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. That was as easy as discussions go. I didn't even have to do any research. I seem to know a lot about this person that I just talked to. My sister really is incredible and she's been a great older sis. Of course, we fought when we were younger and who would ever thought we would be such good friends once we got out of high school and you know, both were at K-State because it took her forever to graduate. Well, of course she got a master's, but we were overlapped quite a bit at K-State. So kind of catching up on everything. And there was parts of that story I didn't know. I honestly didn't know what she did at Eastman Kodak, and it's kind of hard to keep up with all that she does between the dogs and the travel and the kids, and I don't know how she does it. I really don't, but she does do it, and she gave me a pretty good opportunity here to remind everyone what my sister said. Go get your PSA scored, guys. Could save your life, could change everything about your cancer. I caught it a little bit late, but by the grace of God, I caught it. I hope you enjoyed this rather unique version of The Life of Fitz. I'll be back next week with another conversation about the things in my life that are important to me. Nothing is more important than family. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll talk to you real soon.